Well, as Joe said, let's take our Bibles and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. And I want you to think with me about a moment when your prayer life sounded like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so exhausted. I don't even know if I can make time for this kind of prayer. Lord, I need your help today. I've got a to-do list. I've got what happened last evening? What about the stock market? What about my, my job? Lord, I, I need you to give me grace to walk with me today. What, what's, what's coming up at three o'clock today? And what, what's in the, the, the fridge? I need to get to the store. Lord, I, I need your help to help me walk through this season that we're in. I can't stand this. I'm so weary. I'm so tired. God, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. What Lord, I, I, I'm asking for you to settle my soul. I don't have time for prayer. I got lots to do today. I need to get on with it, okay? So I did my thing. Lord, thanks for helping me. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you, that's what your prayer life sounds like? How many of you have two things going on in your head at the exact same time when you're praying? On the one hand, you know I want to talk to God about what's going on in my soul. And on the other hand, like I got a lot going on, and I got this narrative that's running through my head about all the things that I'm worried about and I'm fearful about. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that when trials and difficulties come, worry can be the thing that storms into our prayer life and it can actually rob us from a heart that seeks after God through prayer. Some of you, are so weary because of what's been going on in this COVID season and you have so many burdens that are coming your direction that it's hard to say just about anything to God in prayer. Your, your hearts are just exhausted, you're worn out, you're just, you're just tired. You're tired of all the decisions, tired of all the things that you've got to think about. And as a result, to be honest, Prayer is hard because you'd rather go do something. In fact, to spend some time in prayer feels for some of us like I'm not doing enough. There's, there's others who have, quite frankly, maybe you're in this position, you've given God the silent treatment because you're just so internally frustrated that you've asked and he's not answered that you've just given up and you're like, you know what? I just don't have the energy or the faith or the spiritual strength to believe that God is actually going to help me. And so you've just stopped praying. Maybe not entirely, but your motivation to talk to God has been severely diminished. Maybe there's others of you who, when you begin to intercede or begin to pray, there's this, this element of despair that begins to just begin to overwhelm you because one of the scariest things in, in the world to do is to begin to hope again that something could change. And there's others of us who no doubt when we pray, we wonder, God, do you really hear me? Maybe you're fearful and you don't even know why. You don't even know what to pray about the fear that you feel. You can't even figure out a specific cause, so you don't know what to say. Or maybe you're worried because the last time you prayed, it just, it just didn't work. And so, you may be not willing to pray because if you're honest, you're kind of angry with God. So this is the mess that prayer can be in the midst of a season when we're fighting fear all over the place. 
And prayer also can be a refuge for a weary soul where we come to God and we talk to him about what's happening in the context of our lives. And so prayer is one of the resources that God has given, but let's be honest, it isn't easy to pray when we're filled with worry for so many reasons. Well, this is week number four as we're examining what it means to battle fear. First week, we looked at who is in control, then we tried to define what fear is, then what must I believe, that was last week, and now this week, how do I pray, and then next week, what should I think? Last week, we were in Matthew chapter six, and I suggested to you that there's a connection between worry and unbelief. It's a nuanced and complicated connection, but it's there. And I invited you to think with me about nine different questions that we could ask ourselves in order to discern what is the unbelief that's underneath the things that I'm worried about. This week, we're considering this issue of prayer, but you need to know that it's set in the context of a really important book, the book of 1 Peter. Back in 2016 and 17, we actually studied this book, so if I pique your interest, or maybe some of you have been around since then, you'll remember that we walked through a sermon series called This Exiled Life. And the reason the book of 1 Peter is so helpful is because Peter writes to a group of people who see the looming clouds of persecution coming. It's, it's not that persecution has already begun or that they're feeling the full weight of the pressure of the moment, but they see it, they've heard about it, and there's something within their soul that goes, uh-oh, this is gonna be bad. And so when Peter writes to them, he's writing not just to a church that's dealing with suffering, but this is really important, he's writing to a church that's dealing with the anticipation of suffering, the uncertainty of suffering. Which is why when he begins the book, this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter wants them to know that they're going to walk through a season that's going to be hard. And so he attempts to arm them. He arms them with this mindset from 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So here's a group of people that are being warned. Suffering's coming. Hardship's on your way. It's, uh, it's on its way. And how do they think? And for today, how do they pray when they can hear the rumbles of difficulties? Part of the challenge of this moment, isn't it, for us that there are difficulties already, but we don't know what's around the corner. There's no certainty. And when we think there's certainty, that certainty changes. What was certain a couple months ago doesn't feel so certain anymore. And so the fact of the matter is, is it feels as though just the bottom of what is true and what isn't, what is known, what isn't known, what's the solution, what's the plan, like all of that is just not very stable. And so the question is, how do we pray when fear comes our way? So this morning what I want to do is to give you five ways the Bible calls us to pray. Five ways and five unique lessons that we can learn from a series of adverbs that describe the way in which God calls us to pray. When we hear the looming clouds, when we, we sense something's wrong and go, oh no, how does God how does God's people, how do you 
pray. Number one, we pray humbly. First Peter chapter five, verse six begins this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now you do know that this text is not only set in the context of suffering, but there are a series of commands here that Peter is giving to this group of people as to how they are to make their way to suffering, and they, they relate to the issue of prayer. I'm gonna make that connection very specifically in the second point. Let's start with the word humble. It means to be made low or to bring down. It's used of the action of physically bowing down. It means to make the heart small, but it means to make the heart small when the heart thinks it's big. And so what humility really is, is a a resetting of reality. A, a realization of who you really are, a, a re-leveling, if you will, or bringing something back into alignment with what is true or what is real. Humility is an issue because, as human beings, we are prone to overextend our understanding of who we are. We project something that we want people to think about us that's not entirely true. We want people to think better about us than what's what's actually a reality. Or we think about ourselves in a way that just doesn't make sense when compared to the holistic picture of what's really going on. Maybe every once in a while you watch the program American Idol. And when that contestant, when they're determining who's kind of going to go on to the first round, they come into the room, they sing, and, you know, their parents or their friends have all told them for who knows how long that they're an amazing singer, you got an incredible voice, and then they come in front of three judges who know a little bit about music and vocal performance. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of the American Idol show, but I love to watch the moment when a singer realizes that you're just not as good as what you thought you were. And part of the reason, not because I'm internally cruel, but because I see in that moment a picture of all of humanity. And in fact, I see in that moment, I see something of myself. It brings back a really painful memory. When I was a freshman in college, I was part of a a speech team. Think like a speech and debate team. And in our very first competition, I was part of an event where we were to give a a limited prep speech. So you had a limited time period, you gave that speech and had never been to a, 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 a contest like that before. So I was in the room, I heard everyone's speech and to be very honest, I thought mine was better. In fact, I knew mine was better. I knew it. I heard theirs, and I was like, no, mine, mine was better. And in my sort of 18-year-old youthful arrogance and in my ignorance, we went to the award ceremony where they're giving out the awards, and here are all the contestants standing up in front, and they announced third place, didn't call my name. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, it's not third place because I'm still in the running for second and first place. And then they called the second place award, and wasn't my name. I thought, awesome, that means that I won first place. And I was convinced that I had won. And then when they called the first place name, it wasn't my name. And my teammates told me afterwards, Mark, the shock on your face when your name wasn't called? They're like, man, that's not cool. I literally thought I had won. And in the moment, 
there was an immediate reset as to what was actually true. I'm sure you have moments like that in your own life where suddenly you are reminded who you really are. Maybe you were the star in your high school, you went off to college and you figured out now I'm just amongst a bunch of other people. Maybe you were the high performer at work, you moved to a different company and now you're just one of a number of people. In the context here, the re-leveling of the believer is directly connected not to their peer class, no. The re-leveling of the believer is connected to who God is. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now it says therefore because previously Paul or Peter said this in verse five, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God, here it comes, opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So listen to me, if you're a Christian today, you should understand why humility is so important. We should understand and embrace humility for two reasons. Number one, we know the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is the creator of the universe. He is holy and we are not, and we deserve judgment and condemnation. We were in rebellion against him and he reached into our world, sent us the person and work of Christ who saved us, not just from our sins, but saved us from our pride of who we thought we were. And in that moment, God reached into our lives and redeemed us through Jesus Christ, such the apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter three, what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It's gone. Why? Because we know the gospel. We know the debt that we owed God and we know the way in which he forgave us. So we know the gospel. So that leads to humility. And secondly, we not only know the gospel, but we also value God's grace. We love God's grace. We've seen what God's grace does. We know how incredibly powerful God's grace is. We know what God's grace has done in our soul. So when we hear this verse in 1 Peter 5 and it says God opposes the proud, Scary to be thought, to be thinking that you are on the wrong side of God. You're gonna oppose God? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, grace to the humble. Humility is risky. When you understand what God's grace is, there's an understanding of the value of it, but humility is risky because you're doing something that seems contrary to the very nature of humanity. To be humble and ask someone else's forgiveness without knowing if they're gonna own what they have done is risky. And so what Peter is suggesting here is that our humility extends both from the gospel and from our understanding of God's grace. And humility puts yourself in a position where you are regularly reminded that you need God's help. That's risky. Now, there are times in our lives, circumstantially, where we know we need God's help, and we're reminded of that, and that's one of the tensions that we feel. So if you look around our culture right now, and you feel the tension that's in the air, part of the reason why there's tension in the air is because of the lack of humility of the human race. There's a lack of humility in the sense that, look, I love having control, I love knowing what's going on, I love being able to control my own destiny, and when I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. And why is that? Because we want to not be underneath the looming cloud of 
uncertainty as it relates to our humanity. Humility reminds us how much we need God's help. And if we're honest, that's really easy to forget. There's a gravitational pull towards self-reliance and self-sufficiency within every human being, but that's especially a part of our Western culture and especially a part of the fabric of the United States. And so when that gets questioned or that gets unearthed or unsettled, fear and anxiety just becomes part of the air we breathe. Now, how does all of this connect to prayer? Here's how. Prayer and humility are absolutely linked together. I'm going to show you this very clearly in the second point. But to prove it to you, I want you to think of the times that you really are desperate in prayer. When are you most desperate in prayer? It is when you are aware that you need God's help. We pray because we have a need. And sometimes it takes a difficult situation to make us aware of how much need we actually have. And to be honest, we don't like those circumstances because we don't want to have to ask those questions because we thought that we were in control. Here's the deal, proud people don't pray. They don't pray functionally, they don't want to pray because prayer continually reminds them that they're not in control. Proud people don't think to pray, proud people don't want to pray, proud people don't like to pray. So one of the steps that we need to take as it relates to prayer is embracing the humility that comes with this moment. Listen, I'm not saying that underneath all of your fears is the issue of pride, I'm not saying that. That could be the case. I'm not saying that the ultimate solution to every anxiety in the world is praying, I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is that in the midst of all sorts of circumstances and challenges that invite us to pray, one of the challenges or the hurdles that we have to get over is how does this relate to my understanding of myself? I don't like this, I don't want this, this makes me uncomfortable. And we have to ask ourselves, why does it make me uncomfortable? And I think one of the reasons is, is it reminds me that there's stuff in my life that I can't control. I'm not God. And so Peter says, with the looming clouds of suffering that are coming, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do we pray? Humbly. Number two, we pray intentionally. Now here's the direct connection to prayer. Verse seven, it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties. Again, this word anxieties is a neutral word. Sometimes it can be a good thing, like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. He's anxious for the churches. He has them on his mind and heart. It basically refers to, this, this word refers to the pressures and the dynamics of a broken world. Things that at one level could be an appropriate level of care and at another level just simply take too much control of our lives. It's like what Jesus said in the parable of the seeds. He says, and what fell among the thorns, those who hear, but they go on their way and they are choked by the cares 
and the riches and the pleasures of life. So the cares choke out the word. So it refers to the world and its system. Relates to what it means to live. Now, verse 7 says we're to take those things, which in and of themselves might not be bad things, but the issue is what do we do with them? And here's the pivot point when worry and fear and anxiety and care goes from something that should be a legitimate concern to when it's being overly Uh, affecting our spiritual lives. Verse seven tells us to take those anxieties and to cast them. The idea is that we transfer the weight of the responsibility or the heaviness of an object from one thing to another. It's not just that someone or something helps you, but it's the idea that someone or something, listen, carries the heaviness of the load. The word is actually used in Luke 19 and verse 35 when the disciples found a donkey for Jesus to sit upon and it says they cast their coats upon the donkey and then Jesus sat on it. So they transferred their coats from their arms to the donkey and this is what it means to cast our cares. It is to empower someone else to handle something. And Peter says this is what we are to do with God through prayer. We're to take our anxieties and we're to cast it, we're to transfer the responsibility of the emotional concern for those things and we're to take those things and we're to cast them upon the Lord. For many of us, the challenge is that we do this way too late in the process. We arrive here, I do this all the time, and one of the things this series is helping me is to think about how to get this in the right order. I do this, but I do this after I've exhausted all other possibilities. When I'm worn out and I can't handle it anymore, then I cast it. Peter says, no, Mark, that's pride. It's not being humble. It's thinking I can handle it until I can't handle it anymore, and then I need you to handle it. And Peter is saying, let your first step be, God, I need you to handle this. I need you to help me to handle this. In fact, this casting is directly connected to humility. When it says casting all your anxieties on him, the word is a participle, which means that it describes the way that you are humble. That's what participles do. For instance, if I said, I saw a man run swinging his arms. The swinging would be the participle, and it describes how he ran. Or, I went to the store pushing my cart quickly. Pushing my cart quickly describes how I went to the store. Or, he drove down the road watching for bikers. It describes how you do a thing. I drove while watching. And this is what Paul, Peter intends here, that your humility is expressed by your casting. Prayer comes from humility, but listen to this. Prayer creates humility. Some of us have stopped praying, and there's a number of reasons, like weariness or busyness or frustration. And Can I just encourage you to start some way, somehow, to start praying again? Friend, don't let the uncertainty or the struggles going on in your life cause you 
to grow distant from the Lord, pull that close and use that as an opportunity to be reminded who you are and who God is. Some of you, like me, often make prayer your last resort. It's not your first step, it's your last resort. Let's make it our first step. Make it instead of the last thing we do when we've tried everything else, to make it the first thing we do because we know we can't do anything unless the Lord helps us. Let me encourage you that as you think about this battle with fear and anxiety, there's a gap between your ability and God's sovereignty, and there's nothing like a global pandemic to help us understand that gap. We feel the gap, we see the gap. The number of times over the last number of weeks that I've had to say I don't know, it's very uncomfortable. I don't like to say I don't know. And the question is, am I gonna use that as an opportunity for me to grow in prayer, or am I just gonna get frustrated that I have to keep saying I don't know, when the fact of the matter is I didn't know before I didn't know that I didn't know. God opposes the proud church, but he gives grace to the humble. So how do we pray? We pray humbly. We pray intentionally. Here's the third thing. We pray confidently. He says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's awesome. We cast our cares not just because the weight is too heavy, but we cast our cares because there's a loving and kind God who's behind the looming clouds of difficulty. So friend, think of this, that prayer, therefore, is an act of faith where we practically lay hold and practice our belief in God's promises for his children. You see, anxieties and fears, if we're not careful, can quickly create a narrative about other people, other things, and even God. I trust you know that fear can cause you to question everything. Sometimes for good reason. You got burnt by something in the past. You see something that seems a little bit similar. You're like, hey, 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 watch out for this. And what about this? And what about that? What about that? And some of us, as we've even gotten older, we've got more experience. And rather than allowing that experience to create more wisdom, it actually has created more fear. We can begin to operate in a trust deficit where we're looking around us and we don't know not only what's happening, but we also don't know who we can believe. And as a result, you can begin to develop a, a narrative, questioning. It's one thing if you begin to direct that towards your employer. So a little nervous, our sales numbers are down. What does that mean? What if they, I don't know, last time I saw this, you can kind of go down the path. Maybe it's in regards to your government. Maybe in regards even to our own church your friends or your family. Some of you may start to feel that emerging even in some of the most intimate relationships, like the pressure of all of this causes you to begin to doubt. Do you, are you really for me? But when that happens with the Lord, that's really challenging. And it's dangerous. From a spiritual standpoint, it can lead you to a place where you begin to wonder, am I really a Christian? Does God really exist? And your fears can lead you down a pathway where you begin to question absolutely everything and your faith really begins to get shaken. So what do you do? Well, among all the things that 
you should do, one of them is to pray. Because what you do when you pray is it builds the trust muscle. Don't wait to trust until you pray, pray until you trust. Peter is calling us here to be reminded of what is true despite what we might feel. So don't wait until you feel like you can sufficiently trust the Lord to pray. Use prayer in whatever form it takes in order to express your confidence in him. Embrace the truth of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to him. Or Isaiah or Psalm, rather, 55, 2, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So we need to pray humbly. We need to pray intentionally. We need to pray in a way that is confident. Here's the fourth one. We need to pray soberly. Verse 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. So verse 8 looks specifically at the way that we are to suffer, but it does apply to how we are to pray. You see, when suffering or hardship comes our way, believers are called to be sober-minded. We're called to be watchful. What does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to be clear-headed and to be self-controlled. Think of it, it's like the opposite of someone who's intoxicated, someone who's drunk, like they don't have a clear head, they act foolishly. And listen, fear and anxiety can make you act like you're intoxicated with fear. Does not worry or fear make you say things that you're like, why am I talking like this? Makes you respond in a way that's just not like you or at least how people know you. It causes people around us to act in a way that is just, you look at it and you're like, what is going on? How many of you looked at the run of toilet paper that was being purchased? And you're like, what in the world? Like, I get hoarding at one level, but hoarding toilet paper? There's crazy things. Fear makes us forget both who we are and what is true. And what Peter's encouraging here is to remind us that we live in a dangerous world. There's a real devil seeking to devour Christians. Some of you need to hear me very carefully here that you're allowing fear and your prayerlessness to create a low-grade tension in how you are treating people around you. Your tension is rising and your prayer life is dipping and it's starting to affect your close relationships. Anxiety can lead you to stinginess with your finances. Worrying about a job can make you manipulative or cutthroat at work. Uncertainty about what you're being told can make you cynical and judgmental, and exhaustion can create the kind of behaviors that are unkind and divisive. And listen, every single one of those things the devil wants to do to you. He wants to destroy your family, he wants to divide the church, he wants to take the name of Christ and throw it in the mud by how people respond to fear and anxiety. And the question is, are we gonna look around us and go, this is the devil's work to create this in me. No, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I'm gonna say, you can exalt me, I'm gonna cast, I'm gonna cast, I'm gonna cast, I'm gonna cast, because I need your help, because I know where my soul could go. We have to pray humbly. We have to pray in a way that is intentional. We have to pray in a way that is confident. In church, we have to pray in a way that is sober-minded. So in the midst of all the things that you think you need to do during this season, can I plead with you, don't forget the need to regularly settle your soul and say, 
God, I'm not in charge. I don't know what's going on. But I know I can trust you. Help me to trust you. Because the devil doesn't want you to trust him. Finally, we're to pray triumphantly. The Bible tells us about our future and reminds us what is to come and so invites us to think about suffering through this lens of what is yet to come and invites us to pray in this way. With this in the background of our mind, verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, he owns every resource in the universe. He who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. In Christ. The King of kings and Lord of lords, he's called you in him. What's he gonna do? He will himself restore, which means he's gonna mend what's broken. He's gonna make you complete. He will confirm. He will make you stronger and more resilient. He will strengthen you, increase your resolve and your determination, and he will establish you, make you grow deeper in what you believe. He's gonna grow your roots down deep. Some of you are gonna come out of this COVID crisis and your roots have gonna grow down so deep because you've spent time talking to the Lord about what's going on. You fought through your fears. You may come out of this season with such deep roots that you're gonna be able to help people in the future when they struggle with fear. And there's others of us You're wasting the season. You're so full of fear and anxiety and worry. You're thinking about this, you're worried about that, you're thinking about this, you're talking to this person, what do they say, what do they And the fact of the matter is, is there's one thing you should be doing and that is talking to God and you're just not doing it. Maybe there's good reason, you're just so tired, you're discouraged, I get it, I get it, I get it, but listen to me, the devil doesn't want you talking to God. Because every time you talk to God, you are confessing by what you do the truths of what the gospel is all about. God is holy, I'm not. Jesus saves and he's my life. And when you pray, you are exercising the muscles that make Christianity so beautiful and strong and countercultural. And so how do you battle fear and worry? Not just by evaluating what you believe, not just by defining what fear is, not just by understanding what it means to have something have too much control of you, but it is that you get on your knees and every single day you say to the King of kings and Lord of lords, your God, I'm not. I want control. That's why I said what I said to my wife last night. That's why I can't stop searching and looking and thinking. That's why there's all this tension within me, and you say to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, I need you to help me, I need you to help me, I need you to help me. Because this text closes this way. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. The end game is for the glory of Jesus to be manifested throughout the world and through you. So, friend, when worry and fear are swirling around, prayer is the place where we are reminded of the triumph of Christ. So, friend, if you're listening today, you're not a Christian. 
like you've got to find somebody who knows Jesus to explain this to you as to why the gospel connects to this issue of fear. You, you, you may be, for the very first time in your life, realizing, holy smokes, I am not in charge of my life. Exactly, that's what the Bible said from the very beginning of when it was written. The Bible wants you to know there's a wonderful plan for your life, and it's not you. It's Christ. Why not find a believer and ask him, tell me your story. How'd you come to faith in Christ? How does that relate to worry? And if you're a Christian, prayer is how we are reminded that God loves us. If you don't pray, you're not regularly reminded of his care for you. So College Park, we gotta pray. Let's not allow our fears to push us away from the Lord. Let's let hardship and difficulty in this season make us a people who pray humbly, who pray intentionally, who pray confidently, who pray soberly, and who pray triumphantly. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray and put yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him. He cares for you. God of all grace, we thank you that there is help for us in the person of Jesus, even today in the midst of our weariness and our brokenness. God, help us to build the muscle of trust as we seek you. And Lord, even this morning, would you begin to stoke the fire again of prayer in the lives of people who have been so busy doing so many things except talking to you. Lord, myself included, got a lot to do to help the church. I don't even have time to talk to you. Lord, forgive us, forgive me for neglecting the regular and important and consistent practice of letting our first step be. God help me. We pray this in the name of Jesus.